Hello, friends. Welcome on in. It's the Selby is Godcast. TJ Zuppi alongside... Nope, nope, nope. I'm Zach Meisel alongside TJ Zuppi. What's up, dude? Have you been listening to my intros for way too long? I don't know. I'm getting old. I don't know what's left and what's right, up and down. TJ and Zach. Um, anyway, it is... Still brought to you by The Athletic Cleveland. Okay. And we're on Pod... Or we do that at the end. Podbean, Stitcher. I mean, you're flying the ship, the ship today, so if you want to shout out where people can listen to the podcast... But hold on. Right if they're the listening bat, they to it right now, then they already know where we are. Not necessarily. No? No. What? What? I mean, if they had pulled up Apple Podcast, however, they are an avid Podbean user or audio Then it would be or... better to tell them that at the beginning. Well, then you should probably tell them. No, we'll wait. So, it is... We're Stitcher, recording this on Spotify, Saturday podcast. afternoon, a little bit before Jim Tomey has his ceremony here at Progressive Field. Can we say he's probably going to get his number retired? There's a giant tarp covering up one of the... Uh... So I took a crayon out to right field where the tarp was and did the old trick. Remember the old trick when yeah. you were younger and you would like really quickly take the length of the crayon and color and you would get the in- imprint of whatever yeah. is behind the piece of paper. So I did that uh, and it's actually uh, Bill Selby. They're nice! Bill Selby. Awesome. Uh, and he's the guest, special guest tonight. No, it, Certainly looks like Jim Tomey's getting his number retired. Yes. My grandma told me that. We she, we would do leaves in the fall. If people really wanted to be morbid, people did that with, like, gravestones. They would just take the crayon or a pencil or something. Okay. And do that over gravestones. Anyway, so we're going to kind of wing this like normal. But I, I we were talking about the guys who were, who were back and Jim Tomey. And we were thinking... Kind of reminiscing about some of those 90s Indians playoff runs and reading through the box scores. And we're not going to sit here, I don't think, and just read through box scores of the 97 ALCS. But we might. Puts away all box scores. (laughs) But do you have, like, I think we are both of the generation where we were kind of captivated by those 90s Indians teams. And they seemed larger than life. And they were in the playoffs every year. So it was an adventure even if it only lasted a week, it was an adventure in one way or another. Did you feel spoiled by that? It was all I knew. I mean, I was born in 89, so it was I was a kid. I was just learning about baseball, just falling in love with playing the sport. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was going to be like that forever. <laughs> I was born in 84. I, I had interest in baseball, but didn't really fall in love with it until their run in 95. Watching them throughout the playoffs and then eventually the World Series, seeing how my parents got wrapped up in it. I mean, to that point, the Indians had just been such an afterthought. Even in 94, I mean, if the season had played out and they had reached the postseason, it probably happens a year sooner. But it was so cool seeing my parents react to it and how pumped up they were. And then it became an event sitting around watching the World Series. And I didn't really understand understand the game that well at that point, so I'm asking, you know, how does an ERA, how is an ERA calculated, and what makes a batting average? And it was really cool to be able to do that alongside the Indians when they were reaching the the World Series in '95. So that that to me felt like every year it was your expectation they were going to get back to the World Series. And when they when they lost to the Orioles in '96 in the first round, it always felt like they're down 2-0 in the series to the Orioles. Albert Bell hits the grand slam in game three off of Armando Benitez. And you're just expecting, as me as a kid, I'm expecting 
that they're just going to come back and win the series because yeah. that's all we knew at that point. And when they lost and Robbie Almar hits the home run off Mesa, who I think went seven innings in that game or something like that. We covered something like that uh, over the offseason, that game in particular, just the lineup construction. Was mm-hmm. But anyway, just when Robbie hits the home run and they lose that series, it was like, wow, there's another end to this. That There's disappointment. And it, it, it's a different... It's, I think it's a different connection than the some of the older fans or even some of the younger fans now that didn't grow up with the 90s Indians where they lived through things a little bit differently than you and I uh, when we were younger. I almost had I feel like I had that same feeling last year because the way they won in 2016, the way they just blew through the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and at first the Cubs, it it was weird to see. It, it almost seemed when they went up two nothing on the Yankees last year. It was like, up oh, here we go again. Like they just, for some reason they know how to win these games. Where and you had Kluber in Game Five, and it was like, oh, he's not going to have two bad starts in a row, and and they're at home. And I I didn't really quite consider the reality of them losing that game until Gregorius hit his second homer, and like then it was like, oh man, like you said, maybe there is. An alternate ending here. Um, th- those '90s teams. So for me, you know, I'm, my my. I probably loved baseball the most, like when you're, like elementary and middle school, and and that's when you all you want to do in the summer is watch the Indians, and if you if you get to go to the games, it's it's awesome. And we had to write diaries in ninety. No, sorry, in eighth grade. This was the 1997 season. You had to write a diary every day, just something. It was a little blurb. You just had to write something. So every every day I came in and just wrote a recap of the game that happened the night before. It's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> That's basically what my I didn't have anything else to write about. It's just what I cared about. It was my passion. You know, and people ask you like, "Oh, how'd you? How, when did you decide you wanted to do journalism or sports writing?" And I say, when I was in third grade, it was that when Randy Johnson threw at Kenny Lofton, threw a fastball over his head. And Lofton, I think, benches cleared. And I wrote about that the next day at school. We had to write something. And so I claim that that was the day when I was eight years old and probably didn't even know what journalism was. That was the day I decided I wanted to be a sports writer. You should put that on the site and see how many subscriptions it gets. Um, oh, God. <laughs> can only imagine. I remember uh, writing a story about, in 97, the Indians played a game at Tiger Stadium. And they were losing... If you remember Tiger Stadium had that gigantic center field. I don't remember the exact uh, uh, footage to deep center field, but it, was, it's, it had to have been like 440, 450 feet. I mean, it was a deep drive. You had to crush it to get it out uh, at Tiger Stadium. And Matt Williams came up, and he hit a ball that probably fell on the warning track. And I remember being so upset because every other ballpark, that's a friggin' home run. And I sat down at whatever the word processor was on our computer at the time on our HP Hewlett-Packard Pavilion. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And I sat there and hammered out like three paragraphs on why Matt Williams actually did win the game and it was just their stupid ballpark dimensions <laughs> that cost him. And that, that should go down as at least a half a win in the book because let's be honest, no team should have to hit a home run out to center field there. It is funny how... Fired up. I mean, we think back... Like, they were invincible. In our minds now, we think that they never lost. They just crushed the the competition every day. And then the playoffs, for some reason or another, they just ran into some sort, some team that they underperformed against for a couple days. And, like, I wonder if we're going to feel the same way about the current group 20 years from now. Probably not. 
I don't think you and I will, given what the, the different way that we followed it. But I'm sure young, the younger generation that is growing up with this team now, the way that we grew up with the, the mid-90s Indians, will probably look back and think that these are the glory days. Yeah, I think that that happens, especially for younger people that, you know, all of this is new. All of this is just kind of you're growing into being a sports slash baseball fan. So you're going to have fond memories of this. You're going to be able to recall these intimate details that no one else could hope to the same way that you and I can remember what happened in a random 1998 game against the Red Sox. You know, it, it That's just the way that it is. So I think the, the fun part is that it's so easy to... It's so much easier to remember just batshit crazy things that happen in the postseason. I mean, the regular season is, it ends up being a blur, really. Um, and we were looking at this today, and like, we, we started by looking at 19, because the, the 1998 Yankees are reuniting this weekend, so we're looking at the 98 ALCS, where the Indians went up 2 2 1 on the uh, 114 win Yankees. And game two, you had the. Uh, Travis Fryman lays down a bunt in the twelfth inning. Why is Fryman bunting? Because <laughs> that was what you did then. Fry- Why is Fryman bunting? He's well, got it the worked. To hit the ball out of the ballpark. Didn't it work? You had Jeff Nelson on the mound, yeah, who's a deceiving, sidewinding sinker baller, and Fryman lays down a bunt first baseline. Salt super process. And he, uh, who who gathered it was Girardi catching. Yes. I think so. Threw it into Fryman's back. Knobloch standing there, blowing a bubble, complaining that Fryman was in the baseline. Instead of picking up the ball, because it was still a live ball, Enrique Wilson sprints home from first, does like the swim move around third, almost falls on his face. Then when he he does face plant into home plate, Fryman goes to third, Indians win 4-1. But like that, that, when does that happen? That doesn't happen. Like that is such a ridiculous moment. And that's only one of a, a ton of them. I mean, do you think back to '97, all the all the stuff that happened in '97? Yeah, the the missed bunt by Vizquel scores Grissom in the ALCS against the Orioles. That was Game Three. Put the Indians up two one in that series. Um, yeah, I mean, those those things stand out immediately. And then there's things that you don't even come close to remembering. The here. Well, I would I would add I mean Albert Bell biceps in '95. Sure, in the first playoff game, the city scene in 41 years, um, when they beat Maddox at, in the World Series, and everyone you know freaked out about that because I think Maddox had only lost two games all year, um, and they ended up uh, beating him. That was the game that he threw in at Eddie Murray, and the benches cleared, yeah. and and Oral Hershiser says he the president called a strike. <laughs> Oral Hershiser said he went up to to Maddox and said, "What are you doing? Like, of course you were throwing at him purposefully. You can hit, you can throw the ball in a teacup." I remember that comment. Well, how about that later that series? Dennis Martinez is going to start Game Six. It was a decisive game in Atlanta. He's standing outside the team hotel. Paul Hoynes, Bud Shaw, and That's Bill Livingston right. are getting ready to drive to the game. They're like, "Dennis, what are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, you guys going to the game? Can I get a ride?" They drive the starting pitcher to the ballpark for a World Series game, a decisive World Series game. Like that, that would never happen. You can't talk to him on the on the drive. Yeah. You're not allowed to talk to that day's starting pitcher. Can you imagine just driving down here for a World Series game from your house, and you get off the highway, you pick up Carlos like, Carrasco, Carrasco standing there, or, or Bauer? I, I guess I could see it with Bauer, maybe. But that's it, unbelievable. Yeah, that. 
That is insane. I don't remember what I was going to say. Oh, they flashed those snippets of games from years past up on the scoreboard before games here during batting practice usually and it goes on for hours and hours and we're sitting here every day so i've seen every highlight that's up there but there are so many little different things that i completely forgot that happened i had no recollection at all of either of mark Witten even playing in games in 1998 and yet he was part of that big back-to-back-to-back home run binge yeah andy pettit in that game against andy pettit and he had one of the most prolific epic and that one's a shout out to Ryan Lewis there for that word usage bat flips right. that I've seen here in this ballpark's history where he just launches it off of it was Tony Pena-esque in 95 why was that okay then but not now you'd think it would be the other way around it's selectively okay let people bat flip baseball's supposed to be fun we don't have to get into that today do we no but I mean, baseball should be fun. But I, I also understand respecting your opponents. That's fine. But if you hit a game-winning shot in basketball, you're going to do a little dance or something. Yeah. You're going to keep your arm up. Yeah. If you score a touchdown in football, you're going to dance. This is the equivalent I have, of dancing. I have no problem if a player later wants to make sure that everyone understands, you know, they're all on the same page that they're not showing up the opposition. Can we just agree that that's not what it is? Well, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I wish we could all agree on. We can't. So I have no problem if a player wants to to say that just to make himself feel okay about the situation. But no, there's nothing wrong with hitting a massive home run or a game-changing play and fist-pumping or celebrating or high-fiving. You should not feel bad about that. I mean, there is a difference between doing it on purpose to make the other guy look like a jerk and doing it because you're reacting from the emotion. Even go back to 2015 when Jose Ramirez hits the home run off the Twins that forces the memorable gif where Kurt Suzuki and Paul Molitor and everyone else in the Twins dugout standing there and they're all mad because he flipped his bat in a game that was that was already well out of hand in the Indians' favor. He's not flipping. Jose Ramirez is flipping the bat. Not because he's trying to show up the Twins, but because he's had a really difficult season. And it was like the the culmination of everything to just uh, throw that bat and feel good in that moment. So I, I think you can be smart and, and kind of read the room and realize that it's okay. So yeah, Mark and Witten, just make Mark sure Witten. it's a no-doubter, though, because if you do a bat flip and it's a wall scraper or it hits off the wall, then you're just going to look like an idiot. Like Yasiel Puig has had that happen a couple times. Yeah. Bat flipped on some doubles and then gotten thrown out. Uh, All right, so Mark Witten. Yeah, he was a big part of the '98 run to the ALCS. I, mean, I had no Brian recollection. Giles coming no off the bench. David Justice didn't start every game for some reason. <laughs> Jim Tomey. There were any of the games that Jim Tomey would sit against the left-hander. I get platooning and. We talk about platooning a lot on this podcast. So there's a difference between Yonder Alonso sitting against the lefty and Jim Tomey sitting against the lefty. Um, and yet we look back on 95 and I see highlights of Herbert Perry hitting home runs off of lefties because he's getting at-bats over Jim Tomey at third base. So Tomey, you know, his, his legacy is always a discussion point because of how he left Cleveland. But he's in the Hall of Fame now. He's been honored in Chicago. He'll be honored in Cleveland today. Be honored in Minneapolis next week. Um, we're from an Indian's perspective. He's got the statue. He's got. He was inducted into the Indians Hall of Fame. He's going to have his number retired. He's 
we've seen so much of him the last few years where I've said to you guys, like, I kind of have Tommy fatigue. It's like we, we get a press conference with him every time he comes into town and almost seems like there's nothing to ask him anymore. Where where do you stand on just how everything has unfolded and where he stands now in, in Cleveland lore? I agree with you. I mean, I have the same issue with, with Tommy coming to town, too, where I have that Tommy fatigue. But then I remember this isn't about us. It's not about sure. you and I sitting down there yeah. asking questions. It's for Tommy. It's for the fans. Don't get to be here every time he's here. Uh, it's for Tommy's family. And the other thing that really stood out to me, and, and Tom Hamilton said this when they were in Chicago and Tommy was doing his his uh, his speech in front of the fans there in Chicago. You can look at this a couple of different ways. One, you can say, well, Tommy... He's, he had all these different stints, and he's going all these different places, and he's not really connected to the Indians organization all by himself. He's not just ours alone. We have to share him. And Okay, it's also kind of selfish, but all right, if that's the way you feel, okay, that's the way you feel. But there's another side to this where you have to understand, Jim Tomey was such a unique guy in that he could go all of these different places and only be there for a limited amount of time and leave such a massive impact in all of those stops, all the way down from people within the organization, players that he played with. Everyone seems like they have some sort of really good Jim Tomey story. That's That says something about his character, that he can go these many different places, that he can go to Chicago, and it's like he played his entire career in Chicago. He can have that impact. He can go to Philadelphia for, what, three years and have... Uh, just a massive impact in the short time that he's there. That he could be in Cleveland and do what he did here and then come back later. And I think that was a uh, a big part of kind of reconnecting uh, bridges or however you want to phrase it. Well, he but, was with the Orioles for a minute too. So this is also like a it's, – it's you're knocking out two birds with one stone this weekend. So it, the, the fact that he can – that he can realistically go all these different places and have all these different ceremonies and it not feel forced, it tells you a lot about the type of guy that he, well, the that Indians, he is and was at the time. Yeah, the Indians bring back like Chad OJ and Alvaro Espinosa and I mean they brought back Marquise Grissom. He was here for one year. So yeah, if Tommy wants to go be honored and, and again, also he's not the one seeking out the attention. If a team wants to bring back Tommy, who played there for three years, what about when he was a pinch hitter on the Dodgers? Yeah. Is he doing anything in LA? Like I, that, that, I don't have a problem with that. The, he works for the White Sox too. I had people True. whining that he was honored by the White Sox. It's like he played there for a few years and he works for them. And, and these teams, I think that was the second highest home run total of any yeah. teams with and the White the, Sox. You know, these teams see this guy's inducted in the Hall of Fame. They want a piece of that. You know. They want to catch on to that momentum that he's got this summer, and he's been in the spotlight so much. It's a, it's it's a like good when, marketing when, when Roberto Almar is inducted, the Indians fans shouldn't feel like they have some sort of piece of that. He spent three really good years yeah. here. It might not be the most prolific years of his career, but you could still feel connected to Robbie Almar the same way that fans in Baltimore and Toronto do. So what should constitute, what should constitute having your number retired? Because Tommy... Tommy's a Hall of Famer, but Robbie Alomar is. It's three years not enough. Is Kenny Lofton not enough? A lot of people argue he should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah. I, Omar I don't, I, don't, I don't have a good answer. I, I, same goes for like a statue. I'm I'm more for. I'm actually the more statues the better. I think the the more things you can do to to show how your history has impacted your organization, the better. Mm-hmm. 
Now, do you go the route of the Yankees where you retire? They're out of numbers. <laughs> Half of the the numbers you can use. Ninety nine wasn't Aaron Judge's choice. That's all they had left. <laughs> Ninety nine problems in picking a number is is one first oh, and like foremost. Um, so I I am I probably lean more toward retire the numbers or or give guys statues. I think they need more statues. Yeah, statues. First of all, they're they're fun. It's cool. You're walking around the stadium. You're you're bringing your kids for the first time. You're coming in from out of town. You walk around. You just you learn about the stuff. Like the, yeah, these the are these are the guys that had the biggest impact yeah. on the organization. And even if it's not, I know some teams do like miniature statues. They'll do like the massive ones, and then they have like smaller commemorative places where you you recognize guys. The Indians have tried to do that. They have some like stuff outside the ballpark. I think the more ways you can show all of the good players that once played for your organization and left less the left a lasting impact, the better. Yeah. I think the numbers are interesting. I, I don't like. I really feel like I, I think Lofton and Vizquel deserve. If Tommy got his number retired, I think those two do too. I don't think it should be. I think just saying, if you make the Hall of Fame, we'll do it. I don't think that's necessarily fair. The Hall, the Hall of Fame with the Indians cap on your head. Like, what's the right? Well, and I, and I think like like Lofton kind of got screwed on the ballot. Getting yeah. kicked off his first year, and Viscell, like we shouldn't. There's so much debate about Hall of Fame voting as it is, and it's so subjective. And it's there are, political. Yeah, there's a lot of politics involved. Where I think that's, I don't know if that's the standard I'd go by. No, I agree. And I think I, it would be like it would be awesome to have a statue of Lofton making his catch. Right. I don't know how B.J. Surhoff would feel about it, but yeah, <laughs> it would be pretty cool. It'd be awesome to have a statue. Of Vizquel laying out for a ground ball, like the the game six. Yep, in my robbing Charles Johnson of a of a hit in game six of the World Series. Yeah, Doug Maurice came up with this idea, but I think it, they should have a statue of LeBron making his block in Game Seven of the Finals in the Gateway Plaza, and at the other end of the Gateway Plaza, you have Kyrie in his form hitting the three pointer that that sealed it. I think that would be cool. I, I think yeah, the more ways you can. Would you convey have your history. Statue of Kevin Love shutting down Steph Curry. Sure. Or would you have a, a, a statue of Draymond Green elbowing, punching somebody in the balls, getting suspended? You could even have a statue of Isaiah Thomas because that would be one that like little kids could walk up to and and meet him eye to eye and <laughs> learn about. <laughs> Enough. You don't have to. The short jokes are kind of off limits here. All right. But anyway, yeah, it, it's. It's interesting to see, like, if you would have gone back to 2002 after that season when Tommy went to Philly and said, hey, well, you know, 15 years from now, he's going to be treated here like like a deity, and he's going to have a statue, and his number's going to be retired, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. None of those other guys from that era are going to have that sort of recognition. Just this guy. I think it would have been confusing. Yeah, it's it's weird. The other other guys maybe had more of an impact in shorter spans, but because he he was here for so so long, um, and then he's also your franchise leader in home runs that counts for something. Yeah, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve any of it, but I'm saying I think we should broaden the. It shouldn't the just praise, be Tommy as the, the representative yeah. of that that era. The whole point of that era was that it was the teams were so loaded. Mm-hmm. 
And part of this also falls like on, on Albert Bell's shoulders. Like if he wasn't such a jerk, if he would come back here ever, return people's phone calls, you know, maybe he is a statue. I think it'd be amazing if he had a statue of him pointing to his bicep. Yeah. Yeah. And that one is Or like in his home. That run. one's head scratching because the Indians have reached out multiple times yeah. to try to get that done. The fans here would give him the biggest ovation. I I I, I think. most fans would give him a giant I don't ovation. think there's any doubt. Um there might be a few outliers, but if he's concerned about how fans are going to greet him, I think he has nothing to worry about. But yeah, I don't know. The nineties were a crazy time. So Indians Red Sox next week, huh? Can't wait for those playoff preview pitching matchups. Yeah, let's let's try not to read too much into it. You're gonna have someone named Brian Johnson is starting a game. You'll have Plucko and Bieber in so, there. Is there any doubt he's going seven shutoff frames? Yeah, really. Uh, but it will be fun. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit of a measuring Here stick, I guess. August twentieth, the opener: Corey Kluber, Rick Porcello. Okay, that's hey, that's a, that's a hell of a way to get into it. Two, the last two Cy Young winners, right? And then you get Shane Bieber, Nathan Evaldi. Okay, it's we a step down, but still, guys that will probably figure into the postseason picture. Carlos Carrasco against Brian Johnson, and then Adam Plutko and David Price. So. Things kind of uh, skewed a little bit in that series. All right, time for a random Indian. Everything is... we need to know about the playoffs will be told in those games. <laughs> yeah. 2004 season summary in my hand. A couple things first. Remember Kyle Denny getting shot? Remember the oh, Indians yeah. team bus was shot at? Yes. And because they were doing hazing yeah. and the rookies had to dress up, he was dressed up as what, a cheerleader or a cowboy? I thought he was wearing, like, he had boots on that like saved it, that absorbed the bullet. Like stripper boots, I guess. That's the only way I could think of okay. how to phrase that. I thought, uh, yeah, I remember something to that effect. Uh, we are not going to use Kaz Tadano as the random Indian. Uh, this player was acquired. He signed a minor league contract with the Indians December 2002. In 2004, he played in 44 games. He hit 214, three home runs. Uh, jeez. He's not very good. Uh, <laughs> there's not much I can say about this guy. Do you want a position? The position will give it away. He was a catcher. He was a catcher? Signed a minor league deal in 2012, so he, 2002. or 2002, sorry, and he. So that means he made the team in 20, 2003, and then he stuck around in. Well, so this is the 2004 season summary. So I'm guessing he was on the team in 03. I'm pretty sure he was. He had to have been, but I don't have specific numbers. Who was their backup catcher? Or who even played other games at catcher? Bounced around with the Expos, Orioles, Rays, Pirates before he got to Cleveland. Oh, apparently he actually latched on with the Indians in 2001. Hit 20 home runs at AAA. Got called up in September. And even made the Division Series roster against the Mariners. What? <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't know. Okay, in two thousand two, 
He had off-season surgery. He was in the hospital for a month with an infected liver and pancreas. He lost 50 pounds. 50 pounds? Yeah. Okay. In 2003, he was the Indians' backup catcher. Sal Fasano. No. I don't know. Tim Laker. Ah, yeah, Tim Laker. I think yeah. I believe he also pitched in a game. Yeah, I think you're right. Tim Laker. And he is... Where is he at now? Don't know. In the minors somewhere. Managing? Yeah. Sounds right. But he was so... It's going to drive me crazy. Who was their catcher? So they had Einar Diaz in 2001... Who got hurt that paved the way for uh, Tim Laker to be on the playoff roster? I do not remember. Uh, apparently, according to Wikipedia, Tim Laker is now the assistant hitting coach of the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's impressive for a guy who wasn't a very why, good hitter. Why is that? Guys that don't own a prolific hitting career make for good Hitting coach. Do you know who Tim Laker? Six oh two career OPS replaced in, in on the playoff years. roster. I mean, that's a credit to him. He spent eleven years bouncing around the major leagues. Now he only played in two hundred eighty one career games, but that's, that's over the, eleven yeah, years. That's the life. All your whole job for a decade is to just go and catch the pitcher when he's warming up before an inning. His best year in the majors came in 1998 when he played in 14 games and got 26 plate appearances. That's a hell of a sample size. Slashing 375, 385, 542. It's Yandy Diaz-esque. That is impressive. Tim Laker replaced Eddie Toppensee on the 01 playoff roster. What happened to Toppensee? I don't remember. He got hurt from lifting Kenny Lofton over his head, maybe? <laughs> that might have been it, yeah. All right, so... Now that we've got to the part of the program where you can tell people where to subscribe, why don't you do that? Podbean, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Mm -hmm. and Audio Slave. Yes, we're available on the band. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cod, Pocket Cod, blah, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Radio Public, Stitcher, and that's all I see today. So any of those you can find. Search the Selby's Godcast and you can find us. We're, of course, on Anchor as well. That's where we go to, to uh, record our podcasts and post them for the world to hear. And if you're interested in doing a podcast there, that's where you should go, to Anchor. Any parting words? No, I just can't get over Chuck Knobloch standing there casually, yelling at the ump, blowing a bubble, and not going and getting the baseball. Enrique Wilson was still almost out. Well, I mean, he scored from first on a bunt. (laughs) Travis Fryman ended up at third base. That's unbelievable. All right, until the next time, Zach wants to reminisce about the 90s Indians. Every day everybody and enjoy your Jim Tomey day. Wear your socks high, just like Terry Francona. Make sure there's no holes in those socks. We're out of here. See ya.